There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real-life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo, and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Titans of Food Service podcast, where we delve deep into the world of food service, having the conversations around innovation, creativity, and empowering stories with the movers and shakers who have made it to the top. I'm your host, Nick Portillo, and today I welcome a true industry veteran and visionary leader in the world of barbecue cuisine, none other than Craig Haley, the president of the friendly neighborhood barbecue brand, Smokey Moe's Texas Barbecue, which boasts an impressive 18 units and more locations on the way. With a career spanning over 25 years, Craig has honed his expertise in operations management, customer service, team building, and quality control, making him an undeniable force in the food service arena. Before taking the helm at Smokey Mogus, Craig served as the chief operating officer at K&M Management, where he played a key role in the success of Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes, as well as several Rudy's Country Store and Barbecue franchises. Craig's influence on Mighty Fine Burgers was profound from concept development to the establishment of streamlined processes, including menu development and operations strategy. His ability to navigate the ever-changing landscape of the hospitality industry is nothing short of remarkable. Throughout his career, Craig Haley has been at the forefront of developing innovative strategies to adapt to the dynamic demands of the food service sector. Join us as we dive into his journey, accomplishments, and the insights he has gained while leading Smokey Moe's to new heights. Get ready to be inspired and informed by the wealth of experience that Craig brings to the table. It's time to fire up those grills and prepare for a sizzling conversation on this episode of the Titans of Food Service. Let's go ahead and welcome Craig. All right, Craig, welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and share your story and your journey uh, in the food service industry. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Very excited to be a part of this podcast. Well, what I'd like to do with each of the guests that come on to the podcast is get a little, build a little background about yourself. So how did you get into the restaurant business? Or the food service industry? Yeah, I think it's kind of the traditional way that most people get into the restaurant business. I started in high school for a little bit of extra money, uh, delivering pizzas at a local restaurant uh, there in Southeast Houston area. And uh, I, went, I went off to college uh, to study computer science. And while I was in school, I needed a little extra money there too. So I began working restaurant jobs and began then as a delivery driver as well, but then became a line cook. Uh, next, I was a server, then the bartender. Uh, then while I was in school, I became a restaurant manager and um, just really loved the restaurant industry. And it kind of changed my career path uh, due to that love. I love that. Where did you go to school? So I went to Texas A&M University and College Station. The Aggies. Yeah, gig them. Yeah, I went to 
years ago, I did three years in a row. I went to an Ole Miss game in Oxford, Mississippi. And I believe it was the first year I went, they played the Aggies. And it was, I remember my flight from California uh, to Mississippi. I had a stop in, I think it was in Houston. And the amount of Aggie fans that were there Mm -hmm. in the airport on their way to the game. I mean, it's a different culture out there for sure. Uh, I'm a big USC football fan, but the culture is a lot different than what the SEC has has to offer. Yeah, SEC football. There's nothing like it. It's uh, it really is a passion and something that uh, just the fan bases. It's amazing to be a part of a school that loves football as much as A and M does, and all the SEC schools. To be honest, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you're a computer science major. What did you think yeah. you wanted to do with that major coming out of college? I, I wanted to be, go into programming, and it was an interesting time to go into computer science because yeah. the internet, so I went to school in 1991, and the internet was not anything anybody had heard of in 1991. And by 1992, it, it was a thing. So it was, we were, I went into school and we were doing Fortran and COBOL and, and, uh, and basic programming, and then all of a sudden the industry changed really overnight. And so it was really an interesting time to be in school for computer science. But ultimately, I decided I like to work with people on a team more than I like to work by myself on the programming side. So I still, you know, love the industry, and it still interests me, but it just wasn't a passion for me like food service was. So you mentioned you became a restaurant manager. Where was that, uh, or where, where was the restaurant? Yeah, so it was in College Station. It was called Bullwinkle's okay. Restaurant and Sports Bar. So it was a sports bar that was heavy, uh, really on the bar side of it at night. But but food service, we had a, a really large lunch crowd, and we also did delivery. So it, it was a very exciting place to work because we were incredibly busy at times. You know, Texas A&M game days, for example. And uh, the Houston Rockets were winning championships back then, so that was really busy. And then we had the Cowboys in Texas were winning football championships. So it was a great time to be in the sports bar industry, uh, in, especially in a college town. Yeah. And so that part of it, that when it, you got really busy and the team had to had to get the plates out and work as a team and just the the fun of that experience and really the stress and the problem solving and all the things that come with it was it just really lit a fire under me and was something that, that I loved to be a part That's of. Awesome. That's really cool. When you look back at your time at Bullwinkles, is there any like important lesson that you learned or like a specific moment that sticks out to you where you overcame some sort of obstacle and it's helped you here now later on in your career? Yeah, I, I think working there, really the the part that has helped me was the understanding of how each job works together and okay. the different personalities. You know, managing personalities is incredibly important especially in a casual dining restaurant you know you've got the servers who are extremely focused on making as much tips as possible on each shift and then you've got the kitchen who uh, you know they're back there producing food and trying to go fast and keep it accurate and keep the quality high and how all that works together I think learning the system 
of creating the right teams and putting people into the right places in your restaurant so that so that you could be as successful as possible. You know, working in a restaurant like that, if we had the wrong guy that was that was calling tickets, for example, um, it could create a, a disaster for the restaurant. Basically, the whole the whole thing could could go down in flames, and it could take us hours to get ourselves out of the hole right. that we dug. And we, but with the right people in the right places, we could be really successful. So I think that the learning about the personalities and, and how to put people in the right places is something that certainly um, is important in every really industry, but incredibly important in the restaurant industry. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like too, just the the location that you were at, all of the large sporting events going on, there's a lot of coordination going on. So if you don't have a uh, cohesive team all working together with the right people in the right places, it'd probably just be chaos. Yeah, it, 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 it could be chaos and was at times, right? I think that's sure. part of the learning process in restaurants is that you go, there's failure. And you, if you choose to learn from the failure, then the next time that happens again, you generally do well. And if you don't choose to learn, then you end up failing over and over again. And I think that's a pattern actually some restaurants get into is, is they just continue to replicate failure. And obviously, a guest will give you a second chance, but they, a lot of times they won't give you that third chance. When it comes to failure at restaurants, what are some of the more common things you see restaurants, you know, areas they drop the ball? Yeah, I think it comes to the things that matter to the guest. And so that starts with the food, right? I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're in the food service industry. People are trading their money for the food. That's what the, the actual transaction is for the food. So I, I think at times what, what, where, where they fell is that quality is important uh, philosophically, but it's not important in the moment anymore for people, right? So mm-hmm. while they're, what, when they get a little bit busy or when they, go to, when, they have, when they see that there's not something that's not perfect, instead of handling it and coaching that team member, it becomes, well, it's good enough. And I think what good enough does is end up, it ends up being lower, you know, as you go forward in time. So really creating the standards with the team and understanding what your food quality standards are and teaching and training and coaching to that standard all the time, I think that's incredibly important. And that's something that you see that restaurants tend to fail at. I think the other thing is really not understanding what's happening for the guest. I think this is what I probably coach the most with with the managers and the leadership in our restaurants is like, y'all aren't looking at this process that we're doing or even what's happening in your restaurant right right now through the eyes of the guest. You know, if they walk up to the counter and they're wanting something from the team, they're not thinking, hey, I'm sure they have five other things going on and um, and maybe they don't have a, a spare moment right now that this is a maybe this isn't a convenient time for them would be right. they're not thinking that right they're thinking hey i'm here and i need something and so sometimes our team thinks oh that guest will be fine for example and so they might ignore him for 30 seconds and it's like for the guest what you're telling them 
You know, if you're looking at it through the eyes of the guests, you're telling them, hey, you're not that important to me. You're not that important to us. And so you've, you've changed their whole perception of your establishment just through that one little interaction. And that's just one example. I think there's a bunch of other examples of ways that we problem solve and the way that we create processes when we're doing it for our own good instead of what it actually does to the guest experience. So I think that's another example of what ends up happening as restaurants is as time progresses, they've problem solved multiple different iterations of things for what's better for them. And all of a sudden, six months to a year down the road, the restaurant's not as good for the guest anymore. It's like that, that that's not a, obviously not a smart business decision, but it's not one they make purposefully. It's just one that ends up um, kind of evolving over time. Yeah, that makes sense. And and restaurants or food service operators have to be cautious and aware of the guest experience and the quality of the food. You know, 20, 30, 40 plus years ago, we didn't have the internet. Now there's the internet, there's Yelp. Mm -hmm. If a customer has a negative experience back then, they just don't come back. Maybe they tell some friends. Now they do the same, plus can put it on Yelp, which then has further reach as well, which could be, uh, you know, you get enough negative reviews in a row, it could be disastrous for certain operators. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all use our mobile devices now to choose where we're going, you know, and restaurants are a big example of that. And certainly the reviews are at least a tiebreaker for people, right? So if they're, That's right. if they're looking for a restaurant, they're going to go to the reviews. And if one of them's a 4.7 and the other one's a 4.2, well, if all things are equal, they're going to choose the 4.7. And so I think that's really important to understand that, that people have a voice. And it's great. I mean, this is really actually good for the consumer, good for our guests, that they're able to see uh, what other people think about it. And it should make your restaurant better if you're using that information wisely. The, the, I think the big negative to it from, from our point of view is that you can't do anything to change it if you do have an organizational or a culture change. And right. so, you know, I, I've been with, with the company I'm at, Smokey Mo's Barbecue, for two years. And so, but they've, We've been around for 20 years, so, um, and luckily it's a great brand and it has really good reviews, but it'd be nice if you could kind of start it over with that organizational change as you move forward. That's right. Yeah, it's too bad you can't get rid of the reviews. Um, yeah. They're, they're with you. You know, what do they say? The internet yeah. is permanent. Years ago, I, I ran a Airbnb business, so I had a couple of units and guests would come in and at the conclusion of their stay, they'd give you a one to five star rating. And then future guests, very similar to Yelp, could determine if they want to stay there or not. So one tactic that we had was from the beginning of check-in to the end of check-in, we would ask, hey, if you have a great experience, it'd be great to get a five star review. You know, kind of asking them for the review ahead of time and then post um, leaving as well. Is that some, how how best do restaurants get five-star reviews on Yelp? Do they ask for it or is it, what is the the tactics to do that? Yeah, I think, well, 
you've probably been to car dealerships and, and used their service. Yeah. And that's one of the things I hate about a car dealership is they basically tell you to give them a five-star review. And if you don't, you have to tell them why before. And, you know, it's like, come on. Uh, exactly. This gives you not, obviously you're doing this to win an award for the, for your corporate award thing. You're not really doing this to get better, um, to give better service to folks. But I think for restaurants, what what we it's first and foremost it comes with you you operate well right and I think you try to create raving fans in your restaurants and knowing that if you create it takes a lot to get somebody to go out and really give you a five star review so you've got to be special you've got to do something that wows them and I think so having a, a service level or a service expectation for your team of really wowing the guests is uh, is important to get five-star reviews. Another thing that we do, we use a company called Ovation that we love. It's an app. Um, all of our, our online orders sends a text message to the guests and allows them to give us feedback on all of those orders. We also have in-house, and we send it with to-go orders as well, where they can use their phone and a QR code for that. But when we receive those orders, I mean, those reviews, we're able to, if they're not great, if they're, not, if they're below a five-star, we're able to respond back and hopefully fix the situation with the guest. But if we do get a five-star, then what we do is send them a link to Google Review so that we can solicit some of those reviews. So I think that's, you know, we've seen that link um, actually produce a significant amount of of new reviews on on our online platforms or on basically on Google reviews. So uh, yeah. we, we really like that system as well. Besides that, I think just really asking people inside of the restaurant or putting them in a in an awkward position is not something that that we feel strongly about doing within our yeah. four walls. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that sounds like a great innovative idea with Ovation. I like that. From Bullwinkles, what was your next big career move? Where did you go from there? Yeah, so Bullwinkles closed down in the late 90s. I think it was actually 1999. And it closed down because of a, a rent situation. But after that, I ended up going staying in College Station for a, a bit and working three jobs, all restaurant jobs. I worked for Outback uh, Steakhouse. I worked for Applebee's and I worked as a delivery driver for uh, liquor to the restaurants. So I did all those because I went from having a full-time really good restaurant manager job to uh, not having a job within a couple of weeks. So I was like, okay, I have to offset this and I want to stay in the restaurant industry for now. So I went back into hourly roles and I did that for about three weeks while I was uh, looking for, for jobs. And I got an application or I, or I got a referral for a restaurant in Austin, which was Rudy's Barbecue, Rudy's Country Store and Barbecue in Austin, Texas here. So Rudy's, we were a licensed area developer that had all of the Austin area that we could build our Rudy's in. And then there was the franchisor that was, that had the rest of the territory, except for San Antonio, and they had a little uh, franchisee there. So 
I came to Rudy's. There was two locations at the time. One of them had just opened, and uh, it was a pretty small operation, but we hit. It was the timing was perfect for me because we are a growing brand here in the Austin market. So I started off there as a restaurant manager, and within a month, actually while I was in training, I moved to kitchen manager. And it was really because what I saw in our kitchens at the Rudy's, I was like, this is where I can make the biggest difference. Like there's no, Mm -hmm. there's not process here. It's really off of just the, the, just the knowledge that the cook has in their head about what they feel like they should do. So, you know, you'd come in some mornings and they would have a lot of leftover uh, turkey, for example. And the next morning they would have next day they might run out early so they weren't using pars or processes and there wasn't a real good system inside the kitchen so I thought man this is an area where I can make a difference this is something that I actually tell people all the time I'm like look for you look for an area where you can where you can really create success and you can make a difference and then jump into that so I was kitchen manager for a few years and then I became a general manager of one of our restaurants here in Austin. We we grew that brand to five stores and mm-hmm. we had the number one sales per square foot store in Texas. That was the one I was the GM of at the time. Um, you know, it was this restaurant that was doing about eleven and a half million dollars at that time. So really what? high volume sales. That's just one unit? One unit, yeah. And we had another wow. couple that were over ten. So we had three stores all over 10 in the, the late 2000s, uh, that, that first decade of 2000. And that's that impressive. extended on, obviously, into 2022, but we had built them to that level at that time. So we also won a couple of awards, like we won the Texas Quality Award. Uh, we were the first restaurant to win that. And then we were the second restaurant that won the Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award, which is a which is the highest quality award in the United States. So that was an awesome experience. But we also, what was really great about that experience for me, there at k and Management, which was the company that, that owned the Rudy's Barbecue, is we also built another brand, and that was Mighty Fine Burgers, Fries, and Shakes. So we, were, we built that from scratch, um, which was a tremendous amount of fun. You know, we had a great leadership team, we went out and we we benchmarked all the great brands, all the great burgers. We got to eat burgers for six months and travel around the United <laughs> States. So who who wouldn't love to do that? Right. And then and then we built that brand. And so I was there at Canon Management until we ha- until the owners of the company had a transaction and actually sold Rudy's back to the franchisor. So twenty two years I was there at Rudy's Barbecue and Mighty Fine Burgers. Wow, I'm sure a lot of lessons learned along the way too. And you've kind of mentioned that it seems like operations is a strong suit of yours and a passion within restaurants. Yeah, I love the operations side. Just the really, I've talked about it a number of times, but the problem solving, the determining the best way to, to, to run your processes within within your business, how you can make them faster, higher quality, better. Um, 
more replicable. I think that's important as well. And really easier to train and coach. Um, and then uh, and then the op- the other side of that is really understanding the operations from the guest side. I mean, that's a huge passion of mine and one that that I think translates really well into just building an organization. So, sure. yeah, I, w- w- I would say looking back, like my favorite job in the restaurant industry, even more than what I'm doing today, was really being a general manager. Like that was your own, you were running your own store. Like we had 75 team members in that store. We were doing 11 and a half million at the time, which would probably be like 17 or 18 now with inflation or maybe more than that. Who knows? But uh, we built a breakfast um, program from scratch where we went, you know, this was a store that did no breakfast to doing 40000 a week in breakfast. And so we were able to create the recipes and create the, the process to do that, you know, selling seven or 8,000 breakfast tacos in a four-hour window. Like that's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of fun to build that. And, and then we also did a really large catering uh, program as well. We called them group, we called them group mills. And we have the same thing that we do at Smoky Mo's as well, which is called a yeah. group pack. It's a similar um, thing for offices and, and for parties and graduations and all those that you're able to feed. Uh, it's basically a full, a full catering in a box, except for you're not serving the food. So super easy for people to come pick up. Smart. But yeah, I love the, love the problem solving and the fun of, on the operations side and getting to be in the store every day as well was a tremendous amount of fun. Totally. In my own business, I own a, with my dad, a food service brokerage business. And we're in California, Nevada, and Hawaii. Those are our states that we cover. And when, when my dad and I first started out, it was just him and I. And, you know, communication was high because he sat on the other side of the desk with me and, you know, we would do operations and sales and um, uh, the accounting. I mean, we did every function of the business. And as the business started to grow, you know, we just, uh, we, our bandwidth started to decrease greatly and mm-hmm. had to start putting people in the right positions to, you know, succeed. And then we got to a point of, okay, we have, we have what we feel is the right team, but we have no systems we have no processes. Um, and so we're just kind of running amok and we can't do that as a smaller company as, as we become a bigger company. And so we had to put in our own, uh, standard operating procedures and things like that. And it's really helped our business scale, uh, into other markets and grow great, greatly, uh, which it sounds like that's what you have been doing your whole career with Rudy's and mighty fine burgers and shakes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you, you really hit the nail on the head there with the processes. I think I remember going into restaurants and, you know, they might say Nick makes the best ribs and you'd be like, ah, well then we ought to be doing it. Like Nick does it right. (laughs) We shouldn't be thinking that the way you do it or the way he does it is, is different or better. Let's figure out the best, the best practice here and then let's uh, write it down and and make it easy to train let's flow chart it out and then let's all do that process and then the the important thing about that is that that each time somebody comes to any of your restaurants it's the same but also if you Mm -hmm. need to make 
if you find that there's a, an issue, you know, if you start seeing that guests are complaining about something or if there's something that's not delighting them in some way, well, you can go back to the process and go, okay, how can we tweak this? And it just makes the whole problem-solving process much easier when you already have it written down. And besides the fact that it's much easier to train and to coach and all of the different things that you're trying to do every day inside of a restaurant, I think the process creation, the process deployment is integral to growing a brand past one or two stores. Now, you can do it as an owner-operator if, if you're there every day and you have one store. You don't necessarily need to write down your processes. You just go in there and tell everybody what to do all the time. But right. once you get past a couple stores, that, that doesn't work anymore. Very true. So how did you get into Smoky Moe's? Well, so Smoky Moe's, you know, what's interesting about Smoky Moe's and just how it kind of connects with me is that the the Mo of Smoky Mo, his name was Morris Melcher, just a fantastic guy. He worked with me at Rudy's Barbecue 22 years before I took this job. And um, he w is just an incredible American success story. You know, he left that job and he was like, I'm going to start my own business. And he went into an 1,100 square foot little um, strip center store and built a really cool brand from just that one. And, you know, founder-operated company where he's got a passion for, for food and a passion for, for friendly service. And he built, you know, a brand of 16 restaurants uh, before he, he left in 2019 from the company, sold the company and left. Uh, so I had a connection there. And one of the franchisees of... The company was still with still with the brand and he worked with both of us at Rudy's as well so when the job came up he was like hey I've got to interview this guy he j he's leaving his other job because they just sold and it was just really good timing for for both of us I know the barbecue business and uh, I, I needed a job at the time and they were looking for for somebody uh, they had my skill set, and it, it was just really perfect timing. Yeah. And now present day, I believe you're the president of Smokey Moe's. What does your day-to-day -day look like? Oh, man. Well, I, here's – obviously, it's a lot of um, – it's a lot of strategy is, is really what we're working on. But let, let me, I'll just kind of go through this week. Um, so – I think that's an interesting way to do it, right? Yeah, so, uh, let's do it. <laughs> so, so Monday, so Mondays, I really like to go to visit a restaurant and spend a lot of time in at least one restaurant, and I like to do that on Mondays and Fridays every week. So, it, it I, I obviously want to be in a restaurant every day, and that just doesn't exclude me from being in in one on those other three days. But it's purposeful and it's intentional. On Monday, so I visited our Leander restaurant this week on Monday and spent time there with the GMs, watching the restaurant, watching the operations at the store, uh, doing some work from there as far as our growth strategy and um, making sure I was caught up on emails and all the things that you have to do every day 
in, in 2023. Uh, Tuesday is really, a, a, every week on Tuesday is kind of our leadership meeting. So we start off with a construction meeting because we got a couple stores in development right now. And then we have our SLT meeting, which is our senior leadership team meets on, uh, our, we have an agenda every week that that's recurring, but also all the new items that come up. And then we have a leadership meeting after that, about an hour after that, which includes our operations, our three directors are, are then come into that meeting and they kind of, uh, build their funnel down from that out of that meeting. So it's really a lot of meetings on, on Tuesday. On Wednesdays, I spend one-on-one times on one-on-one time with my direct reports, with uh, our VP of marketing, with our, our CFO, with our VP of HR. And so I spend, you know, my one-on-one time with them on those days and have individual time with them. And, uh, I also had lunch with just a colleague in town on Wednesday, so it was kind of a networking thing. I try to do that. I try to do at least one um, lunch a week with somebody in the restaurant industry or the service industry and just spend some time. And then yesterday, we spent all day in a – we brought in our GMs for an all-hands GM meeting, and we really – we do this every two months, and the purpose of that meeting – is to kind of set the vision for uh, what the next two months are like and, and just how we can do better and get some face-to-face time with them. So that, that only happens every other month, but that took up a lot of time this week. And then today I spent some time in, in another restaurant this morning and spent some time with our CFO on, on figuring out uh, how we're going to handle debt and EBITDA and growth and all those fun finance things uh, for how we're funding growth for new stores in the future. Sure. What are some of the goals that you and your leadership team are pursuing? So that our, we have two real strong strategies right now. One is Mo Guests. So we call it Mo Guests. So bring Mo Guests. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so the idea of that is to grow our guest count in same-store sales in our legacy stores and our existing stores and then build new corporate stores, which I just mentioned that we've got one in construction. We've got another couple leases that are coming down the pipeline right now. So uh, build new corporate stores and grow corporately. And then we've got a franchise growth strategy element of that as well. So really bringing us barbecue to, to, to Mo Guests is one of our strategy in, in those three ways uh, with a marketing component, obviously is a heavy component of that as well for each mm-hmm. of those. And then our other one is, is based on teams. So building better teams right now, we're putting a lot of focus and this is, uh, I think it, the, it's the people, you know, it comes down to the people, everything. You can have a great brand. You can have great processes. You can have great recipes, but if you don't have the right people, you're generally going to struggle. And so it's really about, about hiring and retaining and keeping the best people, developing and training and all the things that go around building better teams. So that's our other strategy right now 
And uh, we spent a lot of time on that because I think that's really that those two strategies, if we can execute those well, then it's really set and smoking yeah. for the future. On the employee retention piece, I'm curious because I would imagine in the areas that your locations are that there's other restaurants there. How do you uh, essentially retain your employees and how do you keep them uh, within your organization? Yeah, I think for us, it's, well, we, we have competitive pay. I think it starts with that. Everybody wants to be paid competitively. Uh, we have a good benefits program. All the things that you got to check the box of that are the minimum requirements. And then what we really focus on that we feel like is a differentiator is to is energy and fun. And we believe, especially in the restaurant industry, people should come to work and they they should have fun. Like it should be a fun place. It should be enjoyable to be there. Of course, it's still work. You know, it may not be the place you choose to be if you could choose anywhere, but it's a necessity. It's important. And when you're there, let's let's make sure that we're focused on having fun. I think the other thing, it well, two other things. One is that that we believe in in hiring from within and moving people from within. We believe in building leadership. So there's career path. I think that's something that Smokey Mo's offers. I think any restaurant does, but we're not doing it out of the necessity of, oh, we got to have a manager, so we'll put, you know, the best person. It's no, let's put people on a path so they can be successful and so they can build a career out of this if they so choose. And let's make sure that we give them the time needed to be there. So that that's a that's a an important strategy for us. The other thing that I think that we talk about a lot that's 100% true about restaurants, but most people don't realize is that this job really matters. Like people have to eat. You know, that's one thing you you say all the time. It's a necessity, right? Most people don't fast at all. Very few people fast for more than a day. So most people eat three meals a day. It's a necessity. You pretty much have to do it or you get get hangry, I think, is is one thing. And (laughs) honestly, you can't live without eating. It's It's certainly a necessity. So you take this daily necessity, and if you understand the impact that you can make on that in somebody's uh, life, it matters what you do. Like if we, if you sit down and eat good food, it makes your day better. It makes your moment better. It may, it gives you some pep in your step. It gives you something to go share with with your colleagues and your friends, you know, it's, man, I just had this great meal. It was awesome. You know, it creates an energy and an excitement and uh, a positive outlook that you didn't have before you came in. If somebody treats you well, it can change your day. I mean, it, it really matters. Service matters. So mm-hmm. if you come into a restaurant and they are pleasant and friendly and nice to you, but they also um, are urgent with you, you know, that they move quickly, they hustle, they care about you. You walk out of that restaurant feeling better about everything, but it's especially better about uh, the people that you're around that day. Uh, you're, you're less likely to get road rage, for example. You're less likely to get <laughs> mad at somebody. You're in a better, you feel better personally about the people that you're around and yourself. And I think that's what we really try to teach and train and coach 
our people is, hey, man, this is this is important. What you do matters. It may this may not be a career for you, but when you're here, you get to make a difference. And so I think that's something that keeps people at Smoky Moe's a little bit longer maybe than they do at other restaurants. We haven't really struggled on the hourly side since 2020 for staffing. Uh, we've done really well. Obviously, everybody struck, struggled during COVID because mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't want to leave their house, you know, and rightfully so. They mm-hmm. were scared. And so it was tough to get people to work for, for a short period of time. But since then, we've actually done really well through, I think, some of these shared vision and values that we have inside the restaurant. That's the other thing that really matters, too, is you have to have some sort of shared values inside of your company Mm -hmm. to keep people. They want to understand what they're a part of. They're not there just to, to be to sell food. That's not, that's not fun. There's nothing really valuable about that. Maybe they'll stay because, because it's the best job they can get in the moment or the money's right or whatever it might be. It's close to their home. But what they really want to be a part of is an organization and a camaraderie that they share those values with. And so for us, you know, I think we've defined those values. Everybody inside of our organization knows them from, from the person that started last week to every person in our office knows all of those, you know, our mission, our vision, the promises that we make to our guests and um, our core values as well. Every person inside of the organization knows that. It sounds like you have a very well-run organization and it's no surprise that you've been able to grow your business to 18 locations, which is by no means an easy feat to be able to replicate the same or very similar experience across 18 different physical locations is very difficult to do. So kudos to you and your team. Yeah, th- thank you. I think that's true. It, it also, for us, we're looking at where we're going. So mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like we have a whole lot to celebrate in that way right now because we know we're getting better every day. And so it's, it's really nice to be where we're at with 18 stores, but we're also thinking, man, just wait till next year. Just think how much better, how much, how much improvement we've made last year. Just think how much improvement we can make in this next year as well and getting ourselves to the, to the goal of really being the, the best Texas barbecue uh, restaurant out there. Mm-hmm. And if you were to look way long into the future, what are some things that you hope to achieve with Smoky Moe's? So our vision is to be the best neighborhood barbecue in Texas. That's mm-hmm. the vision that we have for our company. And we believe we're positioned to achieve that vision. I think for us, we really want to grow corporate stores. We want to build leaders. And then on the franchising side, we think that's really the best way for us to grow yeah. outside of the Austin area. So I think most of what we're focused on right now is really that corporate store and franchise location growth. And obviously really excited about that. I think for us, it's, that's our short term and, and really the next three to five year goals is really around the growth of the company in store units and continuing to to build those units. And we've done a a lot of work on the back end to get to this place. Like the last two years, we've built a whole 
a, a new prototype for the restaurants, one that we believe works really well for the guests, one that's replicable. I think that was a, an issue with what had been done at Smokey Mo's previously was each restaurant was very different from the other, which makes you know it, it, it makes it hard to, uh, to really move managers around or to, to bring franchisees into the fold when you don't have something that you can say, this is how you do it, and this is how it works, and this is how many guests you can handle, and this is uh, how fast you, you need to go, all the things that come with, with the metrics that are needed for a restaurant. So, you know, I think we're going to get incrementally better on all of the metrics that, that we use to measure our promises to our guests, fast, friendly, accurate, quality, and cleanliness, all of those guest promises that we make, I think we're, we're going to get better on those. But ultimately, the goal of the company is to grow units in the next three to five years. Yeah. And I believe you have a signature smoked brisket, and I think you smoke it with post oak. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that process look like? Yeah, so smoking brisket is a, it's not easy. It's one of those items that, I mean, I think it's, it feels like you need to have an artist to do it mm-hmm. and, or a pit master. And so that's one of the areas that uh, we know is super important to be able to teach and train and coach new franchisees or new team members too. And, but, and so we've spent a lot of time really developing the process of that. But essentially, the way that we cook brisket is it, it's really important to have the, have the right pars on brisket because you're talking about a, a brisket weighs five pounds cooked. Mm-hmm. It starts off 10 pounds, 10 to 12 pounds, and then it loses half of its weight in the cooking process and the trimming process. So when you buy 20 pounds of brisket from your your distributor, you get 10 pounds of brisket to sell, which is an interesting thing. Most most other foods aren't like that. So you got to get That's your right. pars right because it's a big piece of meat, right? And so we spent a lot of time really developing a system that uses our tech to create pars for each individual store on a daily basis. But the process of cooking the brisket essentially is we load 75% of our brisket at night, 8 to 9 p.m. at night. Those cook overnight. And the next day, we pull those briskets in the morning and we load the other 25% of brisket that, that morning. And so it's a 10 to 14 hour cook for brisket. And each brisket is pulled for individual doneness. You're not able to pull briskets on time, essentially because they're all different sizes. Mm-hmm. And and maybe they have a little bit different um, tenderness to start with as well. So some of them you need to render uh, the amount of fat that's in each one. You have to render that that connective tissue, the part that makes it tough, to a level where it's ripe. So to, that's the really the hardest part is to teach that how to fork the brisket to determine tenderness, but. It's something that I believe that we've perfected the training on and we've had great success with that. So, And, and I know you do all your smoking in-house. Does that mean at the individual locations or do you have like a central commissary where you do the smoking and then it goes out to the units? How does that work? Yep. All of our food is smoked inside of the restaurants, the individual wow. restaurants. 
Uh, we believe that's incredibly important. You know, there are restaurants out there that cook and do commissary brisket, but the quality's just not there. It's not the same. Uh, gen- essentially, what you're doing with that is you're reheating brisket, and there's certain meats that you can't reheat well, and I think brisket is one of them. It, it ends up being dry. It ends up, it's very hard. It, it falls apart. It's very hard to hit it just right when you're trying to reheat it as well. So we don't reheat any of our brisket. We don't cook any of our brisket um, in a commissary. We do sometimes have to transfer brisket from one store to the other. Um, but that's, you know, that's not a, it doesn't happen very often. And the process, is, it stays up to temp and all the things that you need to do to make sure that it doesn't reduce temp and then have to be reheated. So, yeah, it, it makes the, I, I think in some ways, it makes the build out a little different for us than some of the other restaurants that do barbecue. But it's super important for us to make sure that we're, if we're going to be Texas barbecue, we believe we need to cook on site. Totally. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I, I, I'm curious, what advice would you give to people out there that are in the restaurant industry or in the food service industry and would like to become a president of a restaurant chain or a chain of restaurants in the future? Oh, man, to, to, they want to be a president of a restaurant chain. I think it comes down to well, you got to put in the time. I think you have to, you really have to know how the, how the restaurant works. You can't, it's very difficult to come from another industry, I think, and to come into the restaurant industry. And you can do that with other industries. You can move from, you can be a president of one and just go to another one. I think for restaurants, it's a little bit more difficult. So I think you've got to put in the time really understanding the operation side of the restaurant. I think you've got to, you've got to have a passion for it. Like if you don't love restaurants, you don't love the industry, it's probably, it's going to be like beating your head against the wall because it's a lot of challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you've got to understand really about the way to build culture inside of an organization with small groups of people. I think culture change is really hard. It takes time. I think patience is an important attribute for somebody who's coming into the, is coming into a, a role like the president or CEO of a restaurant. You've got to be patient. You've got you can't underestimate how long it how long it takes to fully implement change. You know, it seems easy, right? You just tell somebody to to do to follow a different recipe and all of a sudden they'll change it. It's like, no, you've got to set up a You've got to set up a way that you're able to audit that and build the habit. You know, people don't just change habits because you wrote them something and you sent it through the pipeline or you had a meeting and told them to do it differently. It takes it takes a lot of effort to make some of those changes. Right. If you look back since COVID times, are there any new beliefs or behaviors or habits that you've now adopted that have made your life professionally easier? Well, I think we've embraced in all industries, we've kind of embraced the ability to have not have to meet face to face. And I think that helps. Zoom meetings are, you know, that's basically what we're doing here. Um, They certainly aren't as good as maybe 
meeting face-to-face for everything, um, but they make your time a lot more effective. So we've embraced the idea of being able to gather together and do meetings. So for us, for example, we have 18, 18 stores, and we like to meet with the GMs on a weekly basis. And if we try to do that face-to-face, we couldn't do it. We'd have to have multiple different meetings, and now we're able to use the technology and Zoom, and, and our people know how to use it as well, and we're able to have effective meetings off-site. I think that's one thing that's changed for me. I think in the restaurant industry, the thing that you see that's probably been the most different is we've really had to embrace the tech side of, of it, mm-hmm. which is the online ordering the ability to for our guests to interact with us through their through their mobile devices we've had to make sure that all of those all of the ways that they interact with us work right for them and then secondly we've got to be able to execute in inside those four walls i think what we saw a lot with covid is that at the beginning everybody's systems failed because all of a sudden all the orders were online. And so it just didn't work. Like we didn't have enough to go containers and we didn't know how to do all the tickets that you get 50 tickets all at once. And there was no throttling involved. And, you know, it it created a whole lot of havoc and chaos for Mm -hmm. a month, you know, in, in, in our restaurants and some restaurants, it took many, many months to figure it out. But it took that chaos. What we did see, though, coming out of that, or what we still see, I think, is lacking, is the the folks that come into your restaurant. I think the service level has dropped for them, and so that's we see that as an opportunity. You know, we look mm-hmm. at that and go, okay, well, if you know our competitors aren't going to perform really well, and when people come in, if we perform really well, it will make a difference to them. And I think we've really spent time over the last six months to a year of training people on things that you we thought they should have already known, which is how to greet a guest. I mean, we wore masks for, for a year and a half, right? We, we all did. And so That's you didn't right. even have to smile for a while. You didn't, you, <laughs> you, you, you didn't have to smile. Most of the business was coming over there through that third party. So everybody was, or not third party, but through your online ordering. So everybody was focused on that. And they were the customers that were coming in didn't seem as important. And then you also had this barrier between you. You had plexiglass up in a lot of cases. And so we've had to really go back and, and really train that in-person service. And I believe that guests really want that too. You mm-hmm. know, that's something that they're, that they're craving is, for, is to walk into a restaurant or to any place of business and be treated well and be treated like they matter. You know, I know that's an experience. I've, we go to restaurants, right? I'm sure you go yep. to restaurants as well. And I think we've all seen, man, they're just not, it's different now. You'll, you'll go to a restaurant that's casual dining and half of their tables won't, will be empty, but they'll have you wait 45 minutes. And you're like, this is crazy. Or you you walk into a convenience store and they'll have one person uh, running the whole store and two people stocking and you'll be like seven deep. And you're like, man, what is going on? Like they're not noticing the in-person guests anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a overall COVID 
probably thing that's happened or, or some, an, an effect of COVID in the restaurant industry has been that we've lost a lot of our ability to, to give for that to just be understood of how you're supposed to behave and how you're supposed to act with those in-person guests. So like I said, we, we kind of like it right now because we, we think, okay, if we can fix this first, it's going to be a pretty big competitive advantage for us. But personally, like when I go out to restaurants, I don't, I don't really like to experience that. So it's yeah. one I hope we fix soon across the board in the restaurant industry. Absolutely. Well, Craig, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I love how you structure your weeks, by the way, your Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, how they're very structured. I like that. Uh, it, it, it's very clear. I like the clarity. But again, I just want to say thank you for taking time to come on the podcast, share your story. I know people out there, this story will, will resonate with them. And there's a lot of great nuggets that you gave as well. So thank you. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate just the chance to, to share my passion with you and uh, anybody who listens to this podcast as well. So have a great rest of your week. You too. Thank you, Craig. All right. Thank you. Thank you.